episode five. Hello there. Today we have Anne Byrne, the director uh -huh. of Global Autism Project, and she's nice enough to share her insight with us. And I want to start with her quote. Where is it? Oh man, I said it. The quote of the day, the month, the year, maybe the century. Just remember, the beauty of behavior analysis is its simplicity, not its complexity. You're about to learn a lot more about the elegance of. Behavior. All right, Miss Byrne, take it away. Can you tell us about a little bit about yourself? Sure.、Um, well, I live in New York, and I am in Sunnyside, Queens, which my husband calls off the coast of Manhattan.、Um, and I'm the clinical director of the Global Autism Project, which is this amazing, amazing organization. I'm so honored to be a part of. Uh, I've been working in the field of、uh, I've been working with individuals with autism for 20 years. So I started when I was five. Obviously, no, <laughs> I wish about that. About that. <laughs> um, so um, I've been and I have done a lot of different things. I worked in day camps. That was sort of what initially got me into the field of behavior analysis. I worked at a day camp、uh, for children with with autism. And I just sort of fell in love with this population, and I dove into it, and I read everything I could get my hands on. This was before the internet was a thing, so I had to read actual books with pages that you had to turn. <laughs> and,、um, and let me hear your voice was not available on paperback, so I brought that big old clunky hardcover everywhere I went.、Um, and I just started learning more and more and more, and I found myself gravitating toward. Behavior analysis and、um, that、uh, sort of modality of treatment, and I just wanted to learn. I then I got really into that, and I just wanted to learn more and more and more. And I thought, sort of starting out the process. Now I think this is like kind of youth talking, but I thought when I went to pursue my BCBA that that would mean that I knew everything, and then nothing would ever be a mystery to me anymore. And I would just know all the answers. And whenever anybody said, "What do you do about this behavior?" I would say, "This," and it would just all be like. I need a picture、so、of that.、Funny. I wish I could videotape that. <laughs> um. So, and what actually ended up happening is, as you know, and as a lot of your a lot of students are going to find out, it didn't make me. It didn't help me know all the answers. It helped me to ask better questions. So,、um, and which is one of the things I just love about it is you're in, you're always asking questions and you're always learning and、um, I just I love the science. I'm a complete nerd about it. What's wrong with that?、Um, and I think the big game changer for me career wise was、um, I got involved with the Global Autism Project very early on. I met our CEO Molly Olapini when she had just moved back to the U.S. and、um, So she said, "Oh, I'm. I started this nonprofit, and I said, 'Oh, you know, tell me, tell me about it.' And、um, working with、uh, individuals with autism here, I hadn't really. I hate to say this, I hadn't really thought that much about what autism and autism treatment looks like globally. And、uh, she she really opened my eyes to、uh, autism treatment as a human rights issue and as something that affects everyone all over the globe. So I. Went with her. A few years later, I went with her on a training trip to Ghana, which was our first、uh, international service partner site. 
And it was such an amazing experience. It was a really amazing experience personally. Um, just West Africa is so beautiful. If anybody has a chance to go, just go. <laughs> and um, and so it was an incredible experience personally. And professionally, it really made me so much of a better behavior analyst. You really prioritize what is important and what needs to be left aside. Um, it was an incredible, incredible experience. And so I fell in love with that too. And then I kind of stuck around. <laughs> she couldn't get rid of me. Well, we congratulate you guys on the project. And I really admire what you guys do. And you guys are helping people the whole, I mean, not just this country, but, you know, worldwide. And you guys are making a difference. And I, hopefully someday I can contribute to that as well. And oh, now we have you on videotape. Now you're committed. <laughs> dun, 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 evidence. Uh, all right, let's move on. What is your Skinnerian message? A quote that's ABA-related or ABA-inspired? Um, actually, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to start off with a non-Skinner quote and then transition into my Skinner quote. So a friend of mine went to a children's theater production, and there was uh, like a Q&A afterwards with the kids. And... Um, and one of the one of the kids at said to the actors, "When you did this particular thing that you did in the show, was that magic?" And and the and the you know, actor kind of thought for a second and said, "Yes, it was." And here's how we did it. Uh, and that and I think that uh, so my favorite Skinner quote is kind of related to that, which is, "Just because you understand respiration is no reason to stop breathing." And I think one of the things that, you know, you sort of quoted me about, uh, one of the things that's so fascinating about the science is human behavior actually gets more magical if you understand how it's put together. So, I, you know, I remember having a professor who said, we're going to make you question all of your ideas about, you know, choice. And, and, um, and I waited all semester <laughs> To find something that I was going to find offensive, and it just all made it so much richer and more beautiful uh, from knowing all this technical stuff about behavior. So rather than detracting our I, from our sort of philosophy about how amazing it all is, I think it improves it. I find human behavior that much more fascinating and that much more beautiful and magical because I understand some of the ways it's put together. Never thought of it this way. You just yeah. break down the really simple stuff. <laughs> It's good. I like I like what you say. Like you know, the more you learn, the more you don't know. As yeah. strange as it is true. It's just that way. You know, you talk to your, you know a four year old, they're gonna say like, I know everything about <laughs> science. But then you know, you can talk to the Nobel Prize winner. They say like, I don't know anything. You ask Einstein, yeah. he will tell you that I don't know anything about anything. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. When and why did you decide to be to get your BCBA, and do you remember that day that you know you find out that you become one? I definitely remember the day I found out I was going to be. I I got the letter in the mail because um, that That's was before terrible. the Ooh. the portal. Um, I think deciding to become a BCBA was was a long process. It was sort of, um, and I had worked in schools that were not behavioral and in places that were not behavioral, and I always had this frustration. I thought things could go better, and um, so. I sort of wanted to dive in and learn as much as I could about behavior analysis so that I could shape more behavior at the, at the sort of administrative level. I was pregnant when I got my BCBA in the mail, 
And uh, so I always used to joke around, like, I got my BCBA and my BAABY. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember that, that process of going, that process, again, of going into my first mentorship meeting and saying, you know, like, I just want to, you know, I don't want cases to confuse me anymore. I don't want to not know what to do. And, um, and Bobby very wisely said to me, I can't promise you that. <laughs> and he was right. I learned to ask better questions. And uh, that was sort of, um, that was the process of getting the certification. I think, I think your son's uh, middle name should be BCBA, or one of his middle names should be BCBA. That would be cool. <laughs> so what's that B stand for, BCBA? What's BCBA stand for? Uh. That would be good. Just, <laughs> some people put ESPN, you put BCBA. There you go, better. Wow, that's a BCBA baby. <laughs> he is. He sure got my behavior under control. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they always do. Just something about it. Okay, can you trace your ABA lineage? So what's your bloodline or family from? I, you know, I don't know that I can. I know I, I mentored with Bobby Newman, and um, he was trained at Queens College, um, but I don't know that I can trace my my lineage really. I I have more of an extended. It's sort of like the Mary Tyler Moore kind of phenomenon. I have kind of more of an extended network now. So, uh, you know, but probably Bobby would be the closest the closest way I could trace my lineage. And Dana Renicky, who's amazing and um, is the dean at Sage College's ABA program, uh, where I'm teaching now. She's incredible. She is. She is. Yeah. And I actually read an article about how adjunct professors are generally not treated well, and it's such a terrible job. And I almost wrote a comment on the blog saying, you know, that's not really true, right? <laughs> you know, she's an amazing person. It's really, you know, so fortunate to work with her. Oh, she's, yeah, she's, she's wonderful. I reach out to her and, you know, here I am. I talk to her on her. Yeah, she's just really nice. I wouldn't expect, you know, someone at your level and her level would be, you know, so kind, so nice, so professional. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, just wonderful people. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and I think Bobby's amazing, too, and I think one of the most important things that I learned from Bobby is it does not have to be boring. It's an amazing, <laughs> exciting science, and being excited about it and sharing it with people in a way that they can really readily understand is a great thing to do. I agree on that. And uh, where do you go to? Uh, you go to Queens College. What about... and? For graduate school or the ABA program, where where okay. do you go? Uh, well, I actually studied early childhood special education at first, um, and I studied at Teachers College. So I took a, a few courses in ABA, but my coursework was in early childhood special education. And then it was a lot later that I decided to go back to my BCBA af- for my BCBA, and it was after a lot of you know discussions about like, no, I think this you know we could use a behavioral treatment here and. <laughs> A lot of sort of advocating. I thought maybe this would be easier if I knew a bit more about what I was advocating for. So, um, so I went back to I did UNT's graduate program, which was mm-hmm. great. Um, and uh, there's nothing like an online program to teach you not to be a technophobe. So, <laughs> so that was a really wonderful experience. I really enjoyed that a lot. And um, and then I got my BCBA from there. I think I, yeah, I, I took online courses as well after I got, we got a little thing, little common thing. I, my, my graduate degree is actually in early childhood education. Well, uh-huh. And then I went back and forth too, but 
you know, what I can say is you can take N out of ABA, and I should make a T-shirt for that. You you can take me. You can take you can take me out of ABA, but that's I should make a T-shirt for that. But yeah, just yeah, it's a slippery slope once you let us out. Once you're in, you can't get out. It's like Hotel California. My husband says that one of the reasons he married me is that we were on like our third or fourth date. We were at a diner and he was having some, you know, issue with a coworker or something. And I took out a napkin and I drew a graph of an extinction burst. And I was like, sissy, if you just hold off and you don't ride that reinforcer. <laughs> he was like, hmm, okay. Keeping the napkin and then, you know. <laughs> it was unexpected. <laughs> He was hoping for, you know, fantasy football or something. He was like, oh, this girl knows she's what talking about. That's the one. Well, oh, there you so go. glad he's not into fantasy football. Fantasy football is like a career. <laughs> it's like all of the disadvantages of being a general manager of a football team without any of the advantages. Well, there's actually a game in, uh, I think, in other countries that you're like football manager or something, but it's for soccer, the real oh. football. Well, reinforcers are very individual. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, but you know, some people like to do that, you know, see if you can put the team together. Some people like to, you know, if you yeah, say... I know, people are really into it. Reinforcers are individual. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> well, one's in- reinforcer is the other person's punisher. That's our thing. It's like one person's treasure is the other person's trash. Absolutely. But for us, you know, I, I enjoy watching football, but sadly, football seems too much work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. Uh, I'd rather sleep. <laughs> I watch Star Wars and Godfather again before I do that. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, yeah. I need to get back. Uh, what is your biggest failure as a BCBA or when you're working in the field? Well, I think my biggest failures have been about not listening and not being willing to compromise. Any of the times that I've really just drawn a line in the sand, the more sure I was that I was right and the other person was wrong, the more I pushed that person away. And uh, that's really a shame because that was a person that I probably could have helped if I had been willing to compromise. So, you know, things like, you know, really being sure about what an appropriate target behavior was when the parent was kind of on the fence. Um, really being sure about how a parent should respond to a behavior when when a parent, you know, was not comfortable with that. Uh, those kind of things are, you know, that just is the beginning and the end. <laughs> if you can't listen and compromise and understand that there are, particularly the sort of family culture, you know, I talk a lot about family culture. We're obviously an international organization. We deal a lot with culture. But um, every family is, in a way, its own culture. Mm-hmm. So if you go in with your own ideas about what's wrong and right, then it's easy to alienate people. And so really, I think probably my biggest failures have been try- either trying to fix something that is not broke or um, just having, a, having too much of an agenda. Because kind of, that's really more about me than it is about the client um, and my sort of need to be right. Uh, so I would say that that's probably... You know, any any mistake that I've made has been some sort of variation of that. Talking about culture, um, uh, one of my professors, the professor I kind of spoke to you about, and uh, she's big on cultures, and uh, I think I'll send you something that she wrote and all that you might be interested in looking into that. That's after this. Um, 
What was your biggest success as a BCBA or working in the field? I think that probably the thing that I felt most good about, I mean, there are, of course, there are like a thousand little successes. Um, and I think the, the thing that I really felt the best about was doing training with the internet, with um, the Global Autism Project. The fact that I could do something that was valuable and was and um, could be maintained was really exciting. And getting people excited about the science and um, about really seeing seeing the progress that the children could make on a day-to-day basis, that was probably my biggest success. You know, it's hard to say because a lot of the time as behavior analysts, we're really supporting the success of others. So, um, you know, I can sort of, the parameter, you know, like I can kind of set up a situation to help somebody else succeed. Um, which I guess is kind of my success, but I, I have someone to share it with. <laughs> You're the mastermind, the behind the yeah. scenes, the director, the producer, the show's yeah. going, <laughs> yeah, we're good, you know, you win an Oscar someday. Yeah, but if the actor wins an Oscar, I could be like, oh. But you're going to go on and say, you know, <laughs> uh, or two, come on. Okay, next one is the one that, that I want to say the force with me moment or, you know, the aha moment that. The moment that you think, like, hey, this ABA thing, I got it. I understand it. It actually worked. Can you pinpoint one of these moments or the moment for me, please? Well, I guess it's, you know, it's an emotional roller coaster of a story. But <laughs> I was working at a, um, I kind of was on the fence about whether or not ABA was the field for me. And I was working at a nursery, a nursery school, three to four-year-old children. Uh, there was more of a psychodynamic, you know, a play therapy kind of thing. And there was one student there who was really, I would say he was really into Halloween. What the staff said was that he was really afraid of Halloween. I I can't, I don't really know if that's true. And truth be told, I don't think they really knew if that was true either, but they seemed pretty sure. <laughs> that's exactly what you say, right? You don't know, but you That sure. same, like, no, I know this. This is, <laughs> this is the right thing. Um, so one day he was absent and then the next day when he came in, um, we had carved the jack-o'-lantern without him and he was really upset about it. And then he wanted to take the jack-o'-lantern and put it on the floor. And we said, no, you can't do that. And then he wanted to do a few other things that he couldn't do. And, um, it was sort of one thing after another. And then he ended up, uh, sitting under the easel and crying. So he was just having a really, like to me, what it looked like, just using empirical observation, he was having a really crappy day. <laughs> you know, he, you know, oh, you come, first you carve the jack line without me, then I can't put the jack line where I want, and then I can't use the Play-Doh, and then I can't do this. And so, you know, I suggested, why not at Snack, we'll read Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, because that's the kind of day this kid is having. <laughs> and, they, and, um, and they took him out of the room when he was crying, and they came back and they said, you know, Billy is always my my uh, my fake name. They said Billy is really afraid of Halloween. And I thought Billy seems more like he's having a bad day that he's really afraid of Halloween. And that was kind of my moment. I was like, oh, this does make a lot more sense to me. <laughs> this whole immediate antecedent thing does make a lot more sense than telling a kid how afraid they are of Halloween. So I think that was probably my, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, I can I can make sense of behavior this way. This makes a lot of sense. I guess that's my the forces with me moment. Do you get to fix... Do you get to fix Halloween with him, for him? Um, I, I just because the position I was in, I didn't. 
but I related Halloween story. There was one student that I worked with, uh, with uh, who I taught to trick or treat, and that was maybe the most fun I've ever had as a behavior analyst. <laughs> It was so great. Uh, we got to practice him responding to different. Uh, I, I, we sort of practiced in his house. We did a little role play, and I would go into one room. He would knock on the door. I would open the door and sometimes say something, sometimes say nothing. And he had to say, I think it was four things: trick or treat. That was uh, trick or treat. He had to identify his costume, and he had to say happy Halloween and thank you. Those were the four things he had to say. I could say any number of different things. So sometimes I would say, oh, look, who's at my door? Or what an adorable costume, who are you? And I really tried to vary it so that he, no matter what anybody would say, or even if they said nothing, he'd be able to respond. Oh. Um, this was the absolute most fun I've ever had. I could imagine. That would be fun. We should, you know, next time we do some kind of at continue education unit, we should do something like that. Or next time you're, you know, you guys have exam prep, you should dress up. <laughs> that might be fun. I mean, that you know, contrast. You contrast might out a lot for office meetings, and you can put a little hat on yourself. So we <laughs> we do enjoy dressing up. For oh, I'll come over. Just fly me over. I'll do. I'll do anything. I'll. <laughs> that would be fun. And uh, yes, you see my shirt. I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just I actually wear that. I'm not just. I'm just me. This whole thing is me, not just that I put on the show. Okay, what is the most important thing a BCBA should learn and master? I I think listening and uh, really paying attention. That's you know that's some of your best data is what you're going to get in conversations with people. Uh, another really important thing is being able to communicate about the science in a way that's not threatening and is really compassionate. And I remember sometimes if you ever want to get enraged. What I would highly recommend is to go onto the Sunrise website and start watching their videos entitled Sunrise versus ABA. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, I, I've seen it. A friend actually saw me. Guess, uh, can I say this? Uh, we might have to add this, add this out, but people listening to this, I assume they would be okay with me saying that. I think some of us should do a strike back. The empire yeah, strikes we back. We have to be careful about how we do it. Because there, there was one that I watched that was talking about punishment. And uh, this, is, this is sort of, I, I noticed this flaw in myself, and I think a lot of behavior analysts have this flaw as well. Um, and he was talking about punishment. He said, you know, I'm going to be fair, and I'm going to say that, you know, a lot of behavior analysts say, you know, we don't use punishments like electric shocks or cattle prods as much as we used to. And my first thought was, well, even when punishment is used, it's used far less frequently than reinforcement. Uh, and behavior analysts were using reinforcers when nobody else was, and punishment was being used in the general public. And it was a few minutes before I thought to myself, did he just say cattle prods? And as a mother myself, if I didn't know a lot of, if I wasn't putting on my professional hat and saying, well, the data suggests, and well, we also use reinforcers, and I would still be on the word cattle prods. So That's all they want. That's all they want. Yeah, and so what we have to do is respond by saying, wait a minute, did you just say cattle prods? I I have honestly never heard of a behavior analyst using cattle prods on cattle to say nothing of human. No, we would not, that, that's horrifying. And we have to respond like that first. Because that is, you know, because if we don't, people are lost in the cattle prods. So, um, I, 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 I should make it, you just passed the audition and it's like, do you say cattle? We should do that like have like, uh, 
I don't know, 100 people, 100 BCBA saying that and put it on a YouTube video, just like that. Yeah. That's all we do, just like that, and then everyone get a t-shirt. You know? And just like interview a bunch of people, like what do you think about the use of cattle prods? And they'll be like, what? <laughs> and I came yes. from the rigid, aversive, uh, that's my line, mm-hmm. my lineage. I'm from that kind of DTD, ABA, very structured one, and we mm-hmm. never did anything like that. No. So I, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, 30s, 40s, 60s, when, you know. You yeah, but it's that it wasn't, nobody that. ever used a cattle prod. And they like, are all butterfly and rainbows and all that because they are perfect with their bacon diet. Yes. Bacon <laughs> diet. Right. You know, we should yeah, do something like even that. In the, even in the darkest, darkest days of behavior analysis, they weren't using cattle. Like, they, it's, you know, we have to, we have to be really clear about about the fact that we are are committed to being just as compassionate. In fact, I would argue behavior analysis is probably more compassionate because, again, it's not about me feeling so good about myself that I am, you know, that this kid likes me so much. It's about me actually making a difference for this kid. We need to do that. We need to do that. We need to do a YouTube. You and I will follow up and we will do something like that. We, we have to. We have to. Okay. Master and listening. I think you're right because, you know, if you don't have heart, to do this, you don't have years, you don't have, you know, the tongue or the mouth to communicate, then, you know, we can't do anything. Yeah. So but we've got a big job. We really do in terms of dissemination. The, you know, the, I mean, you're joking about the bacon diet as a treatment for, um, for autism, but the pseudoscientific methods are doing a really, really good job about getting the word out. I'm and so we have to, we have to catch up. I, I'm still convinced with the bacon diet. In fact, I'm going to make a t-shirt. <laughs> I believe in. I would love to follow the bacon diet. Everything tastes better with bacon. Almost everything. I don't know. Some of the things don't go. Just me. I'm strange. I use specific kind of hot sauce on specific food. You cannot just give me one kind of hot sauce for everything. I can't do it. I'm yeah, but bacon with sweet stuff tastes delicious. I always want to try maple bacon. syrup on your bacon. I want to try bacon with chocolate. The other day I saw it. Oh, that's delicious. Yeah. We That's should do that. that. That that should be a meeting food, you know. Next time we we should do a meet up one day, and you know all those we call it the we can call it the BCBA food or Jedi food or something. I'm there. <laughs> Recipe book. You don't know who you're messing with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like you. In terms we'll, of cooking, we'll, we'll do like you know global autism project cookbook recipe, you know something like that. We'll do something like that. Hey, that's you know anything the proceed goes to, you know the organization. What's what's wrong with that? Everyone enjoy. Does you know we worked at EO? That's I'm all, I, see. I learned I learned that EOMO thing, and you know I really that that's how I understand ABA better. And just you know, and SD, you know, you can give me M and M all day, but I'm not hungry. <laughs> that's not a reinforcement. It could be a punisher. I don't know. Right. Well, talk to the Sunrise people about that. I can make an M and M as a punisher. Can you do that, Sunrise? <laughs> You want Punisher? Here you go. You're your butterfly. I don't know. Okay, well, that's... You kind of carry over to the biggest misunderstanding and term of ABA. Do you have one? I mean, we kind of go over... I think, um, I think the biggest misunderstanding about ABA, I think, is the commitment to evidence-based practice. And um, just as an example, Autism Speaks, I guess it was about a year ago, they published something about evidence-based practices um, in the treatment of autism. And one of the responses 
was, you know, this is really unfair because all of these are ABA techniques. And, and you know, I, looking at the list, some of the, some of the things on there were visual supports, uh, the picture exchange communication system, social stories, teaching in sort of using natural environment teaching strategies. So those types of things I, I thought was really interesting. And I thought to myself, well, these, these things on this list were not part of ABA when I first started in the ABA field. They developed enough evidence, they developed enough support, enough people who used ABA studied them carefully enough to determine that, yes, there is evidence to support these different techniques. And then they became part of the evidence-based practices. So um, we like to say as kind of a shorthand ABA is the only treatment that is evidence-based. But that's not exactly what it is. It's that ABA is the only treatment that has a commitment to using techniques that are evidence-based. So it's actually the other way around. It's not that, you know, this is the only thing that works. It's this is the only thing that only does what we know will work. And that's actually what it says in the guidelines. It doesn't say you know, you should only use ABA. It says you should only use scientifically validated treatments. That, that's our commitment. Our commitment comes from what the research says. Um, and if you don't understand that relationship, then it does really look unfair. It does look like a scam. Like we're just running around trying to prove that our own stuff works. And really, we look at what works and say, oh, that works? Great, I'll start doing that. So it's a, it's like the, the sort of, the relationship is really misunderstood. And I think that's what makes people say, you know, well, that's unfair. The only reason you know that is that, you know, you're the ones who put that on that list. Yeah, but we studied it first and then we put it on the list and now we do it. <laughs> well, just now we have to throw out some EAB stuff. Maybe people will understand. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is your must-have ABA book? Bailey and Birch. Absolutely. 100%. And it's, I mean, you know, like, it's like picking a favorite child, but um, even though I just did, <laughs> um, it's, you know, there's so many great resources and, um, and I tell people all this, I'm like really into purging my shelves and like getting rid of stuff, but I tell people all the time, do not loan your books, your ABA books to anyone because you will wear them out looking stuff up for 10 years. You know, I really, I love the ethics for behavior analysts. It's absolutely a must-have, must-have. I love it. It's a very user-friendly. It's fantastic. I'm gonna put a link to it on Amazon or something until wait till I figure it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, hopefully one of these days, uh, eventually, I'll get them on here and share their thoughts. I heard they're very friendly, and you know, they they want to um, share their. Yeah, I I. Uh, met John Bailey briefly at the last uh, ABAI conference, and he is, he, you know, just for my brief meetings with him, you can tell he wrote, literally wrote the book on ethics. Like, he's just so, like, nice and welcoming, and, like, it was just, he's so, he's great. Good. Maybe I'll send him a Facebook message later on. Do it. Do it. I just have to get him on. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's how I reached out to, you know, I don't know. Most that's of my friends how, on the. That's how a lot of our international service partners find us is on Facebook. Yes. So Facebook is all kinds of awesome. Actually, it didn't start it until like early this year. I resisted it. I just like, why should I do it? And then you know, strange. 
Just straight yeah, I, We used a lot of Facebook engagement for our BCBA exam prep. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some people said, oh, do I have to have a Facebook account? And I said, well, you probably should. And I said, but I'm going to warn you that having a Facebook account just for work is like having a, can- a dish of candy out for guests. Like, you're, gonna, like, you're just going to go into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I know that person. I want to see their baby pictures. <laughs> well, wait until you know some friends has something and then you all of a sudden you're related to i don't know miranda lamberg or something I yeah know. i don't know how people can friend i i don't know or or someone from dan's mom oh <laughs> i'm getting more discerning and who i'll pick as a friend <laughs> no sometimes you just have to look i don't know well, some people... serious. i actually have to want to be friends with you in real life <laughs> oh i'm honor i just became your friend i'm so That's special right. We are friends. Hey, you qualify. <laughs> okay, well, I'll come over and have bacon one of these days. Right, with maple syrup. Yep. Right. I actually didn't... Did these you actually went extra. I should have added my thing. Um, when a, I don't want to put you on the spot, but when parents... Uh, the question is, when parents come to tell you about a certain diet or therapy that do not provide much data, what would you tell them? Um, well, if it's the diet... Um, bacon diet. <laughs> bacon diet. Well, I'm not often asked about the bacon diet. Oh. Um, but uh, one of the things that, you know, ASAT did a study a few years ago on, on the gluten-free, casein-free diet, and they didn't find any reliable evidence on it. Um, but what they did find was that anecdotally people swore by it. So if it's a, if it's a diet, the first thing I'll ask is, do, does your child have gut problems? And if they say no... Then I say, well, you know, it, in my experience, the parents who swear by it tend to be the parents of kids with gut problems. Um, if the diet or the treatment is supposed to resolve something that's a real issue, like gut problems, then it, was, then it might be worth exploring. And one thing I say to parents is, you know, look, I have asthma. And one time I broke my leg. And at no point did the doctor say, oh, well, broken legs don't cause asthma, so walk home. You must not have a broken leg. <laughs> I, you know, like if you have a real problem and it needs to be treated, then, you know, certainly treat it. If not, then, you know, it's my problem with the therapies is when they oversell mm-hmm. and when they're saying like, this is going to cure autism when really it might, you know, if somebody really does have an allergy, it might make them more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I'll usually do is uh, recommend, I'll sometimes recommend that they visit uh, the Association for Science and Autism Treatment. And uh, often, especially for professional recommends a therapy, what I'll ask is what they kind of hope to gain. And so I've had like OTs and behavior analysts particularly have a difficult time communicating. It's like we're speaking two different languages a lot of the time. So um, I've had a lot of conversations with OTs where I've said, um, so what, you know, let's say this listening program. So, you know, what, you know, what is, what's your goal with this listening program? And they'll say, well, it'll organize him. I'm like, Okay, so what what does that mean? Really, he'll be more organized. <laughs> okay, what what does that mean? Oh, he'll be processing and like all these kind of like words that don't really mean anything. And you know, and I'll have to ask a lot of questions. Well, what would that look like? Well, what kind of things would you see him do more of? What kind of things would you see him do less of? I keep asking questions until we can get to a an operational definition of some kind, and then I'll say. Okay, so um, would you like to take data on that? And then we'll be able to determine if it's, you know, how it's going. 
And usually at that point that, you know, they'll say yes. They'll say that would be fine. And then what I also might do is say, well, there's, you know, if, if what you want is for him to, you know, be able to sit, you know, and, and pay attention for longer periods, uh, then let, we can also introduce this behavioral program. If we can, if I can get them to what their goal is and then resolve a problem, as opposed to saying, oh, no, that listening program is garbage, or that, you know, that, that diet's no good, it's too much trouble, it's, I, you know, like, don't, don't even be bothered. Um, if I can get them to what they want to get out of it and try and resolve that problem instead of, again, having this attachment to being right, then I get to both resolve a problem and be right. <laughs> so it's a, it's a win-win. <laughs> I get to pat myself on the back and we actually get to resolve something. So again, I think a lot of those things, you know, it's natural for parents to want to search for solutions and it's natural for them to ask for second opinions and third opinions and fourth opinions and fifth opinions. You know, what you're a parent, I'm a parent, we lie down in traffic for our kids if, mm-hmm. if we thought we needed to. And um, so I, I completely respect that. And I think it's it's always better to engage in a conversation because you don't want them to abandon something that really could help them. You don't want them to sneak around and try something that might not help them. You want to make sure that you have an open dialogue. So it's really way more important to resolve issues than to be right. Yes, yes, this for the kids. Not. Yeah, it's not, not for me. It's not, it's not so I can pat myself right. in the back and say what a great behavior analyst I am. <laughs> but but you are, so that's the thing. Aw, thanks. See, I have you for that. <laughs> yes, on record again. <laughs> okay, um, this question is uh, related. So what if uh, your family, friend, someone asks you to approach to your friend, relative, neighbor, whoever, to seek service for their, ch- for their children? What would you do? I think this is really uh-huh. ethical. Yeah, the guidelines specifically state we cannot do in-person solicitations. So this is a little tricky. Um, And we can't have anybody do that for us. So it's sort of a tricky line to walk. Um, Generally, if somebody says to me, oh, you know, I have this friend who could really benefit from your services. um, And I've had even schools refer me to someone, and the parent was sort of on the fence about whether or not they wanted anybody coming in. And that relationship never goes well. So they'll like they'll take the appointment, but it's you know, a blind they, date. They, they say, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." <laughs> so what I've learned, so I'll usually say, you know, it's really better if it comes from them. And um, I'm really, I, I'm really enthusiastic about sharing the science and what it can do. I am always happy. Like anytime anybody asks me, you know, I have this friend and she might have some questions. Would you be willing to answer questions? The answer is yes, a hundred percent. And I've actually, uh, my pediatrician's office, or my kid's pediatrician actually, knows that I'm a behavior analyst, and um, they have occasionally given out my number for the wrong thing, but I'll stay and I'll talk to the parent for like half an hour, and I'll be like, you're a Tribeca pediatrics parent, I'm a Tribeca pediatrics parent, what can I do to help you? Mm. Like one mom to another. And, um, And I don't get a client out of it, it's just, you know... What, mom to mom, I'm able to help this parent navigate a really complicated system. So the first thing I say is it's always better if it comes from from the person. And I'll say, you know, if they have any questions, they can absolutely call me. But I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't solicit business. I would more offer myself as a resource. Mm-hmm. Understood. But only if 
that person really wanted the resource. See, uh, my thing is, uh, what if like the parents didn't see that their child might need some intervention or therapy, but everyone else sees it and they approach you, like say the grandparents, yeah, so that their grandson might be, you know, having some issues, and but the parents think that you know they they he's perfect or whatever. You know, it's always. The people that you know think that they'll grow out of it, and then, and then you know, or they could have done something, and then you know, years later they they regret it that they didn't do anything. That that this how this well, question. Yeah, it's the thing. It's such a delicate balance. You know, they might regret in a few years that they didn't do anything, but but if you push too hard, mm-hmm. they'll just regret that they did ABA. That's true. And. So it's so important for it to come from from them, and um, because if you push that too much, um, it it could blow up in everyone's face. That's true. Well, I will save it for Dr. John Bailey. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know what he says. Oh yeah, he's gonna yeah gonna spend it. Probably get us you know see you out of that uh, his talk if I ever get him. It's, you know, and I think a, a lot of times parents kind of, they, they know what they need to know and they're ready to know it. They'll, they'll, if everybody else sees it, they're, they'll see it soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're not ready to hear it, going in and being pushy is not going to make them any more ready to hear it. That is true. That is very true. Oh, that's heavy. So let's move I know, on. I right? We're really bringing the room down here. Okay, well, let's go with something easier. How do you apply ABA in your everyday life? Oh, like That's going to be fun. Everywhere. I, <laughs> well, I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, so we do a lot of ABA. Man, boy, do we do ABA. Is <laughs> the, uh, the, the older one ABAing the younger one? Um, not so much? Half not, and half? Not so much. Oh. Not yet. Um, he, uh, he has, my, my favorite ABA story is how I use behavioral skills training to teach him to give uh, my, my daughter kisses. Because they were, like, just shy of two years apart. So he didn't have, like, a tremendous amount of language when she was born. And he used to, like, go up and be like, hi, Claire, hi, Claire. And, and then um, and then we would hear the baby screaming. <laughs> and we would look, and we're like, oh, you see this body part that looks like a hamburger? Like, he just bit her. So we had to practice um, giving kisses with, with, like, lips really, really pursed and that was so much fun. So we did. I did instruction, like two, for a two-year-old. So you know, like you know, when you give kisses, you need to use your lips, and then you know, go very exaggerated like this. And then I had to model it by giving him kisses. That was fun. And then he did rehearsal by giving me kisses. That was even more fun. <laughs> and then I'd be like, "Yay, you did good kisses!" Is the feedback. Um, and it was, and it worked like a charm. <laughs> So, yeah, they do they do their own versions of baby. <laughs> well, whatever works, this you know is scientifically approved. Yeah, and I, I can see them shaping my behavior all the time. It's okay. really yeah. There's um, one time I was working from home and I had my laptop out, and my daughter said, "Mommy, I love you," and I'm like, "That's completely my SD for closing my computer." <laughs> I know an SD when I see one. <laughs> you can't trick me. <laughs> Smart girl. Wow. She is. She is. <laughs> Too smart for my own good. But how come these days the kids are so smart? 
Yeah, I know, right? Well, what Seriously. is your... No joke. Uh, what <laughs> is your biggest concern in the field? It could be anything. Training, parent training, teaching, funding, 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 or other. Well, yeah, funding's a big one. Um, you know, I think it all kind of comes from dissemination, to tell you the truth. Like, I think that um, everything else will come from disseminating the science in a really compassionate way. And, you know, if, if we can really communicate to people, if you need ABA and someone comes into your house, they will not be a bulldozer and run roughshod over your entire life. Um, they will not abuse your child. No cattle prod. No cattle prod. I don't, I don't even know what a cattle prod looks like. <laughs> like, I've never used a cattle prod. So they're not going to abuse your child. They're not going to ruin your family life. They're not going to um, treat your kid like an animal. Um, they're going to be able to communicate with you and work on the things that you feel are important. If we can really, and, um, and we're going to do that in a way that we know works, as opposed to a way that we don't know doesn't work, which is like what you hear a lot about pseudoscientific methods. Mm. Well, we don't know this doesn't work. Well, my God, if we did know it didn't work, I would hope we'd stop using it. So, but don't know it doesn't work is not good enough. Oh, that's another quote. That would be a good quote. That would be a good t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be all over your t-shirt. <laughs> oh, I'm selling t-shirt. I've been telling people I'm selling t-shirt. But just as a behavior t-shirt. It's just, you know, next time I go to a convention and conference, I'm going to sell t-shirts. Do it. Take my lot, sells t-shirts. Okay, and then, you know, you guys can be sponsored and all that. We're all good. There's funding. There. Looking into a onesie. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Oh, wow. I gave you a lot of questions and you answered all of them. I Jeez, know. woman. I was pretty serious. I'm a nerd. That's good. That's good. What is the biggest misconception of autism or people with autism or, you know, the will you work in? I think, weirdly enough, it's not exactly a misconception about people with autism. It's a misconception about how we interact. And I, I wish I could remember who said this, but there was an individual with autism who, who once said, it would be great if neurotypical people could develop a manual of how to interact, but most neurotypical people would be unable to write it. Which is a really good point. I mean, we don't... And what often happens is... We teach students with autism to interact with us as teachers rather than to interact with other kids. So just as an example, I, I waste, I'm sure like almost everyone can identify this, I wasted years on teaching kids conversation scripts to initiate play that included, hi, my name is Anne, can I play with you? You know who does that on the playground? Precisely no one. Because <laughs> that does not work. It's not effective. A much better way to initiate social interaction is either tacts, where you comment on something somebody is playing with, or sometimes mans, always, usually also focused on an object. So can I have that shovel is another way that kids will interact. But more often than not, especially for early learners, it's generalized imitation. You go up, you start doing what those other kids are doing, and then you're already playing. If you ask permission to play, the answer is no. Or you're at least giving someone an opportunity to say no. And why would you do that? So if we, if we teach kids to initiate play by asking to initiate play, we're putting them in a position where there's a likelihood that... Setting them up for failure. But that's, my, uh, that's uh, kind of my thing. I usually joke around that every kid that we work with 
instead of, you know, instead of politely saying please and thank you and following every single direction, should know the diarrhea song. Like, like, that's going to be what gains social reinforcement more than, you know, being able to make polite comments and conversation. True. We need to write a manual on that. On the diarrhea song? (laughs) Something like that. Just read, you know, those little kids' book that might might help. Yeah. We should spend, you know, you should build hours on, you know, watching kids' shows and all that. I actually have a friend, not someone that I've worked with, but a friend who I know socially, who a psychologist recommended to her. She's a teenage son with Asperger's syndrome. And the psychologist recommended to her that he watch episodes of that 70s show. And she said it made a huge social difference because if you watch that, then I started watching the show like a behavior analyst would. And um, it's all uh, teenagers making conversation and most of the conversation is sarcastic. So after that, so we watched like a ton of video models about engaging in the verbal behaviors associated with sarcasm. (laughs) And then he was finally able to say, yeah, right. You know, things like that to really understand them. So um, it made a huge impact. It's like being able to be sarcastic opened up a whole new social word, world for him. Because, yeah, because, yeah, right, it's double positive. How come double positive is actually negative? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and why would I say yeah when I really mean no? <laughs> that, no that's one of my favorites. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around unless you have enough. Well, you would do it in this context. Yeah, you... No one actually tells you, hey, that's it. That's not what he meant. He meant the other, the opposite. But no, we don't tell people that you just really right. have to get it. And, you know, shows like this are help because I remember one clip like that was uh, The Simpsons. Well, another Fox should pay us money for advertising right, their yeah. shows. Right, get a cut back. <laughs> yeah, I just I remember that one scene is uh, The Simpsons Homer. It's like, like, ooh, I'm the happy fairy. I make people happy. And then he'd be like, no, by the way, I'm being sarcastic. So that was kind of like, okay, I know you are, but then in the show, that make it like double funny. So Homer's saying that, by the way, I'm being sarcastic, in case you don't know, something like that. It's one of the early episodes, but yeah, that was a good one. Uh, I, I never really get on to that, uh, the 70s show. Maybe I should, just... Uh, yeah, Dana actually, models. Dana actually got me on uh, Big, the Big Bang Theory, so... Never oh, know. really? Mm-hmm. I, when I first watched it, I didn't like it, but... Then now I, yeah, them. I don't like it either. I, I, I'll try it just because of them. The, I started it, and I think I put something on my blog that, you know, Big Bang Theory-ish. Okay, let's move on. Uh, yeah, I think some of the questions that you're the first one that answer. I, I don't <laughs> want to throw people out of the questions. I really I'm put the them answer on. of record. <laughs> oh, you're the queen of answering everything. I know. If you give me an assignment, I'm going to do it. The- oh, how are you going to read, I don't know, some crazy machine manual and, you know, you'll be the one, the only person. in. It. Let's look at some journal articles. Which one is the most important in your mind? I mean, it could change tomorrow. But um, Yeah, I, I have a few favorites. I mean, I think probably most important would be uh, Brian Iwata's Tour to Functional Analysis of Self-Injury. And I think that is sort of a game changer. I mean, it, to look at behavior as always having some sort of purpose. Nobody does anything for no reason. That's tremendously important. Have you seen uh, that, uh, I call that a uh, cartoon caption thing that uh, my mentor, Corey Robertson, did? There's uh, Batman and Robin. Batman slapped Robin because Robin <laughs> said, like, he just came out of the blue. And it's like, no. 
that doesn't happen, something like that for guys. Sorry. What I like to say about it is, um, uh, you know, well, because uh, one thing we hear is, well, it could be anything. And I say, yeah, it could be anything, but it must be something. So, wow. It's just good like clothes just keep coming, huh? I know, I know. Oh. You've got a lot of tweetable moments here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're just going to put, like, I always wanted to transcribe it, but I'm just going to put, like, quotes. Just, you know, <laughs> here's, you know, 300 quotes here. Just look it up. Um, <laughs> now we should just do it and just make all the T-shirts or, you know, stickers and bumper sticker and all that. Hey, that would be fun. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Anything that works. Um, what is the best advice you have received or any craziest requests? Okay. The best advice I've received, hands down, um, and I don't even think Bobby would think of this as advice, but when I was in uh, my mentorship, he was talking about the situation that he had. He was consulting and, and um, at a school, and the school had just egregiously messed up um, in dealing with the behavior. I think, I think the situation, if memory serves, was that a student had engaged in some really mild aggression. But even in response to mild aggression, the teaching assistant did what the union required, which was to get immediate trauma counseling. <laughs> it was like a little scratch like that. And um, so he went for immediate trauma counseling. And leaving the student alone, and they couldn't get the student to leave the cafeteria. So the principal dressed up as Clifford the Big Red Dog and led the student out of the cafeteria and then gave him ice cream, which is like, I don't <laughs> know where to begin on what a bad idea this was. Like, there is failure to generalize, there's um, reinforcing behavior, there's, like, completely stigmatizing this kid. Like, Just going to get a prize for that, right? <laughs> and, and so, I, you know, Bobby was telling the story to, to illustrate a point. <laughs> um and now I can't even remember what the point was. I was just trying to illustrate. And I, because I interrupted and I said, how did you not say, what are you guys using for brain? Like, how, how do you not say that in a situation like that? And Bobby looked at me and he said, you know what? If somebody hires me, they're hiring someone to say, what are you using for brain? If someone hires someone like you, they're hiring someone to finesse it a little bit more. To say, oh, I can see why you might want to do that. You know, what I might recommend is, <laughs> and, uh, and I think that that, you know, he probably didn't even mean it as advice, but, but I took it that way. And I think that what it sort of said to me was, this, this is a field for people with a lot of different kinds of needs. And so it's not about, especially as you're beginning in the field of behavior analysis, one of the most important things to remember is it's not about trying to be like somebody else. You know, everybody needs different things. It's going to respond to different things. So it's, if you can be really fully yourself, you're going to respond, people who need that are going to respond to you. You know, so maybe the job where the requirement is really to say, what are you using for brains? That was the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, wouldn't be the right position for me. But there are people who do that really, really well. And, and if you're one of those people, great. And if you're one of the people who works with uh, non-behavioral colleagues and um, and really listens and has rich conversations with them and tries to get them to see things in a new way, which is more what I think I do, that's great too because we really need both of those kinds of people. So um, I guess the short version of the advice that, that Bobby may or may not have given his advice was be yourself because we need people like you, whoever that is. 
You're a hammer. Be a hammer. Don't be a screwdriver. That's right. And we yeah, need both tools. Be a hammer if you can. Get it. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I, I that's one of the things on my graduate school. I think one of my first short paper was uh, I kind of say Goldilocks and Sigmund Freud are kind of like in the same category because you just don't know what is too much and what's too little. Yeah. So it's like for you, you're too much, maybe my too little. But right. then, I mean, the idea is great, but just I can never, you know, you cannot really use it in the explaining a behavioral term because for you might be you need way more but for me it would be i don't know not enough i i i don't it's kind of like similar to that maybe off track a little bit yeah but that's true be yourself well I, this this i know i'm not that's how i started this thing because i know i cannot just tell you which research article would be the best without making a silly joke or talking about star wars and stuff like that's the way i can do it and hopefully there are more people that would buy it because that's how I am. I'm not going to say I'm going to dress up and wear a bow tie and tuxedo and tell you what it is. This is... There are plenty of people wearing bow ties. Yeah, like they, and if that's not you, then there's no reason for that. To, and I think one of the most important things that we can communicate about the science is that you, know, you can be that person in a bow tie. Or you can be the person in a Yoda shirt. <laughs> yes, I'm wearing a Yoda shirt. And I think that that's really important. It's important that the culture of behavior analysis just invites everybody. Because we need all kinds of behavior analysts out there. True. Very true. Okay. okay. Now I'm going to... I can hear myself. Throw your curveball. Curve uh-uh. Imagine you Imagine wake you up wake tomorrow and all of your client population is gone, but you still have all your knowledge and skill in ABA. What would you do? This is kind of a weird uh, term for it, but I'd probably be like a parenting coach, whatever that is. I, you know, I really believe in the science, and I think that it's really amazing. And I feel like having getting my BCBA and my BABY in the same year really uh, shapes the way that I parent. And I was really able to sort of meet both of my kids as individuals. Like I didn't get lost in the pseudoscience that parents often have to dig through about, you know, uh, how long to nurse and whether or not to have a baby sleep on their own and blah, 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 blah. You know, I was really able to make decisions and say, like, these are important. These are going to be important in my family and these other things are not. And able to kind of parent in a more conscious way. And I think it would be great if, and really way more relaxing for a lot of families, if more families were able to do that to really look at their kids as individuals and look at everything they teach them, not as, well, this book said I should teach it, but as, you know, within my family culture, this is important to me, and, and to parent that way. And so that'd be what I'd do, you know, a lot of parent coaching and a lot of consultation and teaching parents about this science because it can help you be the kind of parent that you want to be and be that consciously. It's like a, a good reality show baby whisperer or something <laughs> they already have a baby whisperer oh really oh geez uh, i don't know uh, somebody you know, yeah but all those whispers they use like techniques that they use technique but so much parenting information is about do this thing and and not about okay well here is the mechanism for how you want to do anything and you can put it together in different ways you know, like, what's important in my family is not going to be the same thing that's important to my family. So the behaviors that I want to teach my kids are going to be different 
than the behaviors that you want to teach your kids. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that should really, that's a parenting philosophy that should be more embraced, but it's easier in a lot of ways to just tell parents, no, you should teach this. You should teach that, not this. You should like, and then they get a lot of confusion, a lot of conflicting information because you'll read one thing and it'll say, whatever you do, don't sleep train your kid. And then you'll read something else and say, whatever you do, you gotta sleep train your kid. And then you're like, that is true because just these days yeah one of the i don't know bad thing disadvantage of the internet is like you have so much information now everyone says something you know you can go on wikipedia and find things just to type in anything you can find two million results two million different answers and yeah. sometimes we just got laws in it it's just like no that's not me you know i don't wear bow ties so don't tell me wearing bow ties the only way to go because i'm not yeah. gonna do it but then you know i keep looking at everyone with bow tie and maybe i should but then that's yeah. not. and then you start to think like is it wrong that i'm not wearing a bow tie you know like is, you know is my kid gonna be a serial killer if i don't if i sleep during him you know like and you know it's not it's about each individual kid and each individual family very true it's all about the culture. Um, any last piece of advice and how can we find you? I think uh, parsimony, it's the law. If I ever learn to embroider, I'm going to embroider the phrase parsimony, it's the law on a pillow. <laughs> that could be done. Just now we got like, we're going to got a line of. You can put that on a t shirt too. Pars- parsimony, it's the law. More like um, a, maybe a water tattoo or something. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Um, I think really, you know. Keeping in touch with the simplicity of behavior analysis is the most important thing. It's the most important thing we can do to disseminate. And it's the most important thing we can do to make sure we're training behavior analysts really well. Is keep keep it simple. Like, make sure that we're emphasizing the simplicity. And um, 90% of what I say during the exam prep is, this sounds complicated, but it's actually really simple. Like, I say that phrase a lot. And, you know, you may think that you never see this, but here's an example where you probably do. Um, so that's not really my, my last piece of advice. Is enjoy how simple it is, not how complex it is. And you can get in touch with me through the Global Autism Project. My email is ann, A-N-N, at globalautismproject.org. Find it, and we offer... We have a lot of things going on over here. We have Skill Corps, which is our opportunity to travel with us and provide the on-site portion of our training um, at our international service partners. We have BCBA exam prep, which I'm super proud of. We have distance supervision, which I'm also super proud of. And we have our uh, professional CEUs as well, which I, I'm also proud of. <laughs> like, I do anything around here that I'm not proud of. If I'm not proud of it, it doesn't go up. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we've got a lot going on, and, and check us out at globalautismproject.org. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Um, do you want to go with uh, what we spoke on Facebook earlier about the promo? Yeah. Um, so I spoke to our CEO, who um, is offering a discount for the first 10 participants who use the discount code Behavior Jedi, all one word, uh, to get a $75 discount on our BCBA exam. Score I. Wow. I'm worth $75. Yeah, right? Nice. It's a pretty nice discount, actually. Um, so, and you can get a 75 either a discount on our two day exam review, which is a weekend review, it's a live webinar. 
um, and or we have that plus a strategy session, which is the live webinar plus a 75-minute tutoring session with me. Cool. And we have our scholar sessions, which is an eight-session uh, guided self-study program. So they're all pretty awesome. Go, Anson. Not, yeah, no kidding. Go, Anson. Well, I need to get this together. And, uh, yeah, so everyone can benefit from this. Wow. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you. you so much. And we need to so uh, get back. Uh, well, yeah, we need to get together again and talk more about that and do the sunrise video and many of my t-shirt and nonprofit and ideas. We need to do those. Yeah, you betcha. Well, guys, I did not get another state, so uh, New York double-checked uh, one request. Uh, like we said, we talked about a uh, certain program during our interview, and I thought it might be fun that for us to do a little YouTube video or something that kind of strike back to tell people that ABA is not all about cattle prod and punishment, aversives and stuff. Um, just trying to bounce off ideas, so contact me and we can do a little parody, funny, poof, prank, whatever, just to give Skinner and I'll feel our good name back. That's all, so I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.